0: This is KMTT, and today's Thursday, this Zman, Choref, Taf, Shin, ein. we'll be having a series by Rav Kalmin Numen on society and halacha. Today is the last session in our series on politics and halakha. We'll be dealing today with the laws of war as we began last time, but we will specifically talk about the contemporary application of those Halachot and the applicability of the categories of Mohammed Mitzvah to the reality of the State of Israel today. Last time we began to talk about the question of the king as a commander in chief, the king as the person who is responsible for milchama, and we mentioned first of all that this exactly is the expression of the idea of Kachol just like any king or any political system has to wage war against its enemies, certainly Melech Israel also has that responsibility. And we quote the Nitziv, that wars are an inevitable part of human existence, and therefore all people of the world are allowed to engage in wars, not considered murder. Perhaps we could say that the attempts of humanity to limit wars in some way might perhaps change the status of Bnei Noach, and a copy that Bnei Noach should be limited by what is accepted among the nations of the world. As to what is considered legitimate military action, of course, we'd have to judge this according to what is indeed considered by the world and not by some kind of hypocritical uh, statements that no one takes seriously. The second thing we spoke about, about the person of the king, is there a need for a king to engage in Mechem Mitzvah? We suggested that perhaps self-defense, perhaps you don't formally need a king, but that the other wars, such as the war against Tamar Lake, the war against Shivat Aramim, do require a specific person who is to be the king in order to engage in such a war. In that context, we mentioned the words of Rav Kook, that it could be could be that in the case there's a need for a king, that need can be replaced by any government accepted by the people. So last time we ended with quoting the Rambam, who mentions that there are three types of Melchemet Mitzvah, and the uh, three types are Melchemet Amalek, Melchemet Shivat Amamim, and Ezrat Yisrael Miyadzar. So it's very clear uh, Shivat Amamim no longer exists, the Rambam says that specifically, Amalek, the Ramam does not say specifically, but we know that there's no one available today who is identifiable who is Amalek. True, there is a well-known statement quoted often in the name of Reb that since the Ramam does not mention regarding Amalek, he does not mention specifically that Amalek no longer exists, so therefore there may be proxies for Amalek, Any implacable enemy of the Jewish people is considered as though he was Amalek. There's a lot to talk about this far. what exactly the Halachic implications. Suffice it to say for now, it certainly does not mean that any person of a community that is waging war against Israel automatically has the Dinim of Amalek. That certainly is not, I think, what Ripai meant to say, but that really has to be discussed in another context. Uh, So the only category according to Rambam that is applicable is Esrat Yisrael Mi'atzar. On the other hand, the Ramban, in his additions to Sefer Mitzvot mentions the conquest of Eretz Yisrael as a mitzvah, and there are different ways of understanding the Ramban. In a nutshell, one approach, which is held by many contemporary, uh, especially Zionist, Post given rabbanim is that the Ramban indeed holds that there is a mitzvah which exists even today, not only to live in Eretz Israel, not only to settle Eretz Israel, yeshivat Eretz Israel, yeshuv Eretz Israel, but there is also a mitzvah of kibush Eretz Israel. There is a mitzvah to conquer Eretz Israel, and that mitzvah, like all other mitzvah of war, is applicable even in a case of pikuach nefesh. It takes precedence over pikuach nefesh because every war, by definition, once we say that there is a mitzvah to wage a war, it takes precedence over pikuach nefesh. Another approach uh, represented especially by Rav Nachum Rabinovich from Yeshivat Maledumim uh, who has written a number of articles to show that in his opinion, the Ramban never meant to refer to conquest by war as part of the mitzvah of Indeed, there is no mitzvah to engage in war, and the Kibbush eretz Yisrael well, does not override the principle of Biku A third approach, which I believe is presented by Ravi Israeli, is that at one time there was a mitzvah of Kibbush, Nowadays, there is no mitzvah of Kibush. So, there are three approaches. Again, according to many people, there is indeed a mitzvah of Kibbush Yisrael today. And that is often quoted as a source for the prohibition to return territories, even in the case of Pikuach Nefesh. In order to do that, we would have to paskan according to the Ramban. We'll see perhaps later that that position can be substantiated even according to the Rambam, who does not believe that there is a mitzvah of Kibush in Israel because he doesn't mention it as a type of Melchemet mitzvah. Clearly, the only types of Melchamot that are applicable today are Melchemet mitzvah, as we saw last time, Mohammed Reshut requires the intervention, surely, of Sanhedrin, perhaps of Orim and in any case, the uh, the fact that these institutions do not exist today certainly preclude the possibility of engaging in Mohammed Reshut today. So whatever the intention of Mohammed Reshut, if we see Melchemed Reshut as a religious war which is, intends to uh, expand the Dvar Hashem and is part of the uh, imposition of Sheva Mitzvot P'nei Noach on the entire world, as some understand the Rambam is saying, or if we just see Melchizedek uh, Roshut as the legitimate actions to expand Gvul Yisrael, to expand the power of Melch Yisrael this puts into brackets the whole question of the moral understanding of the category of Mechemet HaRashud, which certainly does raise ethical problems. And In general, the whole question of the relationship between the halachot of wars and an ethical system requires separate discussion. It would be improper to talk about the category of Mechemet Rashud without at least suggesting that it requires an examination of the ethical problems in order to fit it into a larger Torah worldview. The whole law of Melchemed Rishud is not applicable today, and therefore when we talk about the contemporary applications of the law of Melchema, we are dealing with Melchemed Mitzvah, of Melchemed Mitzvah, and more specifically, of Ezrat Yisrael miadzar. Regarding wars of self-defense of Ezrat Israel Miadzar, we have basically three questions that have to be clarified. All of them we can put under the rubric of who started. How do we define exactly what is israt Israel Miadzar? One is the discussion based on the Sugya and Sota. The Sugya distinguishes between different types of war, whether it's Mitzvah Chovar Rishut, according to the Conclusion of the Sugi and Sota, the Machloket Tanaim is regarding t'lo leite alayu, okay? in order to prevent the non Jews from attacking us. And there's the Machloket, whether that's considered Melchem Mitzvah or Melchemet Rasud. As I said, the Lashon of the Rambam is Ezrat Yisrael Miadzar, and the commentaries on the Rambam indeed disagree. What exactly is the Rambam talking about? Is israt Yisrael miat precisely the case of preventative war? And the Rambam poskums, therefore, that preventative war is considered a Melchem Mitzvah to save Israel from the enemy who is about to come on them? Or does he emphasize Habalim, who has already come, and therefore only that is a Melchem Mitzvah, but a preventative war, a preemptive war, is not considered a Melchem Mitzvah, and therefore has to be... Uh, legitimated only through the procedure of Mohammed Reshut, which, as we know, does not exist today. So, therefore, among the Mufar Rambam, there are different approaches. There's a whole range of approaches. According to some, one is allowed to engage in a war only if the enemy is already actually attacked. Some say that if there's a state of belligerence, that's already sufficient. And some say only if the enemy is preparing for attack. And some say that it's enough that there be a potential enemy, that's enough to justify a melchem mitzvah to attack the enemy. These questions are not theoretical because, as a matter of fact, the entire Israeli strategic posture is based on the assumption that Israel cannot allow itself to be the first one to be attacked. Israel has to preempt in order to uh, win wars. We all remember what happened in 1973 when Israel decided, for whatever reason, to accept the first blow uh, and not to preempt. That created part of the great problem of the Yom Kippur War and therefore believes that it cannot allow itself to be the second one to uh, engage in a war. And therefore, the criteria of who shot first might not necessarily be helpful. Uh, the lesson of the Rusalmi is... Uh, Rabbi Yehudah, Hayah Korei, Melchemed Rishud, Kagon Anan, Da'azlinan, Aleyhon, and Melchemed Chovah, Kagon Atian Inon, Aleyhon, right, if, who started, who shot the first shot, that's Melchemed Rishud, and it's Melchemed We if they shot the first shot, but obviously again, in political, strategic reality, that is not really the situation, and therefore, we have to ask the question, how to define, Uh, situations such as the Six-Day War or the 1956 war. In the 1967 war, for example, even if, as some historians think, the Egyptians would not have attacked Israel if Israel had not attacked first, but Israel was put in an untenable situation by Egyptian actions. It had to call up the Milouim. It had to paralyze the economy. The situation could not remain as it was. So, therefore, the very acts of the Egyptians were acts of aggression that had to be responded to by Tzahal. In 1956, there wasn't an overt act of aggression by Egyptians. There was a need that the Egyptians had to be taught a lesson. That is really a kind of preemptive war, and to the best of my knowledge, there was not an extensive halachic discussion about it at the time especially since some of the strategic considerations of the war of 1956 were not made public until many years afterwards. Of course, one could say that all these issues are absolutely irrelevant from a halachic point of view because a state of war exists between the state of Israel and the Arab states from 1948 until uh, whenever they sign peace treaties with us. We had a state of war with, Egypt, with all the Arab states. We, presently, we've signed peace agreements with Egypt and Jordan. But all other Arab states, since we are in a uh, state of war, therefore, there is absolutely no need to take into consideration the fact that we are not to initiate war. Any war is to be seen as a skirmish in the longer war between us and that specific Arab state. That's a possibility. I don't want to go into the political implications of making such a statement. However, it is obvious that as far as tactics within the course of a war, then there's no limit on the amount one has to attack. One can't say, okay, now in the middle of the war, I am not going to attack I w- because that is an aggressive war. I will wait till the enemy attacks me. Remember, I've heard wrote that actually in a tshuva that was written during Mechamet Tatzmot. He said, uh, Right. One doesn't have to accept a defensive posture in the course of a war. Once the war is broken out, then of course any kind of activity is legitimate as far as attack. One, the, the, all is part of the process of Mitzvah. Issue 2 regarding who started is a question that I saw raised by Rav Zalman Koren in an essay he wrote. And he says that he hasn't seen too many people who have dealt with it otherwise. That's the question of how do we define who started in a condition when there's a threat not directly of being killed, but there's a threat on something. In other words, what happens if the enemy comes and says... Okay, I want to attack you, I don't want to kill you, but I want something that you have. I want uh, you to give me some of your land, I want you to give me money. Now, is that considered as Yisrael Miadzar? Is one allowed to give in to that? If one is convinced, obviously, that that will be the limit of the enemy's demands... Does one have a right to say, no, I will not give? This is, of course, somewhat akin to the situation of Baba Makhteret. I won't go into the analysis of Baba Makhteret, but Baba Makhteret certainly is an unusual halacha, and does it, the same thing exist in a public realm? On one hand, is it permitted to make those concessions, or maybe one is obligated to make such concessions in order to prevent a war? And what is the limit? It would seem to me that the definition of Ezrat Israel Mi'atzar depends on the definition of the Melech, what exactly is the requirement of Yisrael. If the Melech determines that a certain thing can be given to the enemy for whatever reason, then it's not considered as Yisrael Mi'atzar. If the Melech determines that it is, then any defense of of that which has been decided should be defended, then it is indeed Ezrat Israel Mi'atzar. So here I think what should be presented is a two-stage uh, a reality. One is the Melech, or we would say today, the government, decides what is Israel, what is the necessary uh, scope of the territory or power or whatever of Israel, And anyone who comes to challenge that, any war that comes to challenge that is a war of self-defense. The Malchut has the responsibility and the authority to determine what is for the best of Am Yisrael. And on that basis, anyone who comes to challenge that must be fought because such a fight is Ezrat Yisrael Mi'atzar. So that, as I hinted before, even if one doesn't accept the position of the Ramban, that is a mitzvah of Kippur Yisrael, but one could definitely make a case that if the Melech, or whoever is entrusted with the powers of the Melech, decides that a certain place has to be defended at all costs, then that indeed creates a situation of Mitzvah, even if one does not believe it, there's a Mitzvah of Kibbutz Eretz Yisrael. The third dimension I want to talk about in the context of the question, who started, is how do we define the very beginning of Medinat Yisrael, as far as the categories of Milchemit Mitzvah. As it were, the ground zero of Medinat Yisrael and of Milchamot Yisrael. The problem is when we have a stable political situation, when there is a state, when we have a clear example of where there are borders then it's clear the party that attacks is the aggressor, is the Kovej. And whoever Defense is Yisrael Miatzar. If we are attacked in such a way, then there is Ezrat Yisrael Miatzar. But in a situation where there is no clear political organization, so how do we define what is self defense? Who is the attacker and who is the defender? And we know even historians aren't exactly unanimous about it. who shot the first bullet of the War of Independence, and exactly what were the circumstances that brought about the War of Independence. These things were far from being self-evident. Just to give an example, there's a tshuva written by Rameshul Amrath in Tshuvot Kol Mavaseh. was a Zionist rabbi who, after the state was established, was one of the first people who called for saying the brach on Yom Hatzba'ut. However, in a tshuva he wrote during or shortly before the state was declared, he writes that it's very problematic to empower the authorities with the power to draft people. He says it's not sure if the melchama is being run as a melchama mitzvah and therefore He says basically that the Malchut, or whoever, whatever authority exists at that point, does not have the authority to draft people. Right. This position clearly did not internalize the implications of a Medina that's headed towards war. Certainly, one cannot depend on a volunteer army in such a situation. The person who presented a diametrically opposed position was Rav Herzog. Rav Herzog, in a number of votes, written indeed during L'Chemet HaShichro, he emphasizes that the actions that have to be taken, both regarding uh, military actions on Shabbat and in general, should not only be seen in the context of pikuach nefesh in general, but more specifically, should be seen as part of mechem mitzvah. In a tshuva written to the rabbi of Tveria, Rav who asked about military activity on Shabbat, he says, first of all, who can be sure that there will not be a need of pikuach nefesh. Even if the hostilities have not yet begun, we don't know when they will start. We don't have proper intelligence. And therefore, it's a Umdra and therefore we have at least a fake pikuach nefesh that the experts have to tell us that is considerable, and therefore we have to treat things as pikuach nefesh. But then he says, but that's all if we define it as tam, as pikuach nefesh. There is here a milchemet mitzvah, and in the correspondence between Rav Rata and Rav Herzog, there's a discussion about what is the status of places that are to be captured that are not within the partition plan or not within the area that was designated in the UN decision for the Jewish state. Rav Rata says, if we conquer places that are beyond the borders that were stipulated, that were earmarked for the Jewish state, then we're not gaining anything because ultimately we'll have to give it back. This is, of course, at a rather early stage of Melchema mode. Rav Herzog answers that such conquest, if it is done not in order to take the place, but if it's done in order to weaken the enemy, it's all part of the same process of war and therefore it all falls into the category of Melchema Mitzvah and it all falls into the rules of the ex- the experts in the strategy, they will determine what is best for us. But what makes this Ezrat Yisrael Miyadzar in the first place? In what way can we say that the war Israeli war of independence is a war of self defense? The person who raised this question in the midst of the war is Rav Zevin, who in a famous letter that was published anonymously regarding the drafting of Bakhri Shiva during the War of Independence, he raises the question if this is indeed a Melchemim mitzvah or not. So he says, I understand, according to the Nturikarta, who say that it should not be a, a Medina at all, and therefore the war is unnecessary and we should give in. But since most of Amisrael, whatever party they belong to, they understand that there's a need to. Participate in the war. And I'll read what he says in Hebrew. <laughs> Rav Zevin here expands the concepts of self defense. He says this war is necessary for the continued existence of the Jewish people. The Jewish people need a Medina in order to exist. And the battle for the establishment of a state is in itself a milchemet mitzvah because it allows the Jewish people to continue to exist. This is a very broad expansion of the concept of Hitzrat Yisrael Miyad Tzar. One could say almost the Tzar is the circumstances that require us to have a Medina. We must have a state in order to exist. And therefore, preventing us from having a Medina is endangering us. And then he says, of course, Lo anachno matkevim. We didn't want the war, but uh, the war is created because of the people who want to prevent us from having our own state. In an article of Rav Herzog, which was not published in the time, was published only later in Truman, he defines in another way why the Israeli war of independence is a war of self-defense. And it has to do with the question, who started? And he says... Why is the war of independence a war of self-defense? Because the starting point is the partition decision of the United Nations. The world decided to give us part of Eretz Israel. Once the world decided to give it to us, then we have the right to defend it. And any attack on that creates a situation of self-defense. Of and Herzog adds, of course, that the conclusion from the Shoah is that without a state, the Jewish people are, will always be endangered by their enemies. And therefore, uh, even when the Arabs say that they will allow the Jews to remain in Eretz Yisrael as a minority, we can't believe them. If they receive the entire land, then they will certainly not allow us to stay. Yasu Shmad Banu Yosvei Eretz And therefore, again, the War of Independence is a war of self-defense. So the approach of Rav Zevin and Rav Herzog is basically that it's not important who shot the first shot, the whole point is that we have a legitimate right to hold on to what the world gave us in the partition decision of the United Nations. And therefore, any attack on that or any threat against that decision creates a situation of a mecham mitzvah to defend the land. Who does not accept that rationale? If we think about it, it's not surprising. Rav Zehuda Cook. In an essay that he wrote in a booklet, in Iyar Tav Shinchel, just with the declaration of the state, calling on people to serve in the army in defense of the Medina, he, of course, goes into a halachic discussion regarding the halachic obligation to serve in the army. So first he deals with the category of Rodayf and Hatzalah. We won't go into that. But then he describes why this war is indeed Izrat Yisrael Miyadzar. And he says basically that the return of Amisrael to Eretz Israel began already in the First World War with the re establishment of Jewish military power, the Jewish brigades, and continued in the establishment of the British Mandate, which was an acceptance of the world that Eretz Israel should belong to the Jewish people, and the fact that the Mandate did not keep its purpose and that the authorities of the Mandate did not fulfill their original goal. Of, of keeping Eretz Israel for Am Yisrael, that has nothing to do with it, but nevertheless, we have a situation where the world has accepted our right to Eretz Israel, and therefore we have a legitimate right to fight for Eretz Israel. So basically, Am Yisrael is doing what it's supposed to do to return to the land. And anyone who interferes with that return to the land is creating a situation of Ezrat Israel Miadzar. Why doesn't Rav Huda mention the fact that we've been authorized by the UN to establish a state and therefore any attack on the state is, uh, creates a situation of Ezrat Israel Miadzar? The answer is obvious. Rav Zihuda opposed the UN resolution. He opposed the partition of Eretz Israel and therefore he couldn't use the decision which calls for a partition as a basis for the starting point of Israel Israel Miatzar the starting point of Israel Israel Miatzar at most is the british mandate which included all of eretz israel that gives us a right to establish our state in all of eretz israel and therefore anyone who interferes with that is creating a situation of Israel Israel Miatzar Interestingly enough, Rav Zevin, who, as we said, in 1948, defined Melchemet Ha'atzma'ut as a Melchemet Mitzvah because it's Ezrat Yisrael mi'atzar because it's coming both to save the Jewish people as a whole. Rav Zevin then did not mention the consideration of the conquest of Eretz Yisrael as one of the things that makes it a Melchemet Mitzvah. In the second edition of his book, L'Or Halacha, he does introduce the halacha according to the Ramban that there is a mitzvah of Kibush Eretz Yisrael and he says that indeed the milchamot of the state of Israel are also milchamot mitzvah according to the Ramban and then later in the later article he says that all the wars the state of Israel has fought the war of independence and the 1956 war and the six day war they are all to be considered milchamot mitzvah because they are all under the rubric of Ezrat Israel Mi'atzar. With this, we have completed the last shiur in the series about halachan politics. I hope I succeeded in giving some insight into some of the basic issues regarding halachan politics, both in the classical sources and in the treatment of contemporary post-games since the establishment of the State of Israel. I hope we also managed to show that despite the work that's been done much remains to be done, much study has to be devoted, and there has to be a lot of halachic creativity in order to be able to apply the halacha to the new reality we have. Maybe an appropriate way of ending the series of Shurim would be the very ending of the Rambam of Elchot Melachim. The Rambam ends Elchot Melachim with the discussion of the ideal king, Hamel HaMashiach. The Rambam ends with the halachot that are both the ending of Hilchot Molachim and the ending of Mishneh Torah as a whole. The prophets and the wise men did not yearn for the days of the Mashiach in order to control the world, in order to oppress the non-Jews, or to be higher than all the other nations, and certainly not to eat or to drink or to be happy. But so that they will be able to be free, in order to devote themselves to Torah and to Wisdom, and there will be no one to oppress them, so that they will be able to gain eternal life. And in that time there will be no hunger, no war, and no jealousy. And the entire world will only be devoted to the knowledge of Hashem. et Hashem kamayim layam Amen.